I'm Michael Flake, one of the pastors here. Good to be together as a church family this morning. Whether you're cautious about Jesus, curious about Jesus, or committed to Jesus, there's room for you here. This is a safe place to learn, to grow, and to change. So long as you don't have it all together, you'll fit right in. The round reminds us that we're all active participants as we stay on this journey together. We're all here to receive something this morning. We also all have something to give. So as we soak in the grace and truth of God's love, we can also spread God's love by serving others. Great to be reminded how this summer we did, uh, we, we try to do that every week, but this summer, one Sunday, we didn't hold services in, in this gym. We went out and served in the, in the community and hope you'll take some of those lunches and, and keep that moving forward, finding ways to keep, to keep serving. It's a fun Sunday to kind of look back at, at the summer, all of its adventures, uh, but also looking forward. We, uh, some folks have already started school. I know that tomorrow they start school here at Davidson K-8, not called Davidson Elementary anymore, Davidson K-8, uh, and also at Davidson College. It has to be move-in because it's been raining for about three straight days, which means college move-in has to be happening. That's typically, typically how it goes. So this is the Sunday. that We'll do this for a couple Sundays where we just love to welcome uh, folks who are beginning college, whether at Davidson or throughout, uh, throughout the area. Great to have people with us. I was a Davidson student back in the, uh, the good old days. I majored, I double majored in, in mathematics and what is now called religious studies. At the time it was called religion. Um, but here's my little soapbox about faith in college. We say this for a couple weeks, and then we let it, let it go until this time next year. But this is my little soapbox about faith in college, and it's this. In college, your faith will start, strengthen, stagnate, or shipwreck. In college, your faith will start, strengthen, stagnate, or shipwreck, but you will leave different than you came in. And then the fun thing we get to see as a church is so many people who during their college years really do grow in their faith, whether they start following Christ or they come to a deeper relationship with Jesus during their college years. And so I would hope that for so many of you and many of you who will go off here in a year or two uh, to, to college uh, somewhere, um, it'd, be, it'd be fabulous. But, but it takes intentional effort, and as a church, we want to be as helpful as we can in that. So if this is the right church for you, that's great. If this is not the right church for you, we'd love to help you find a better one. You know, we know of better churches. We know of a lot of better churches, honestly. But we'd just love you to, to find a, a spot that's great for you. And once you find that place that you'd really jump in and find a way to serve somehow, you not only get to meet some other people, but it's a way to grow, grow in your faith serving, serving in some way. So there it is. Good, to, good for the school year to be starting back. It's It's time. It's time. We're in the middle of a campaign, as TJ said, called Rooted. It is a three-year campaign. We're trying to buy the acreage on South Main Street so that we can have a long-term home here in Davidson for our church family so that 60 years from now when I'm sitting up in the front row going, huh, at everything that's being said, probably that Gray's saying, uh, we'll, uh, we'll just still be in the, having a vibrant ministry to the people of the region. We'll still be walkable to the college campus so that we can continue to have an impact on Davidson college students and college students throughout the, throughout the region. So if you've been here the last few weeks, this is all review. However, if you have not been here the last few weeks, 
what you would want to do is go over to the info table and get one of these rooted brochures. It's very pretty. It says rooted, and it tells you about the land. It tells you about the campaign. It asks you to consider how you can be a part of it. Uh, we're asking everyone to find some way to participate in rooted. We had one of our middle schoolers make little tags that her, uh, her friends can put on a jar so they can just start saving loose change or something like that. We're asking everybody to find a way to contribute uh, in some way towards rooted. So take this. If it's a family, you and your family start talking about it. If it's just you, you and God start talking about it. But find some way to, that you can be part of of rooted. It's a three-year campaign. We're asking people to give over and above what they already give to the church so that over these three years we can amass the money and actually go and purchase that, that property, have a more long-term home. Good? That, that's where we're headed. It's, it's fun and exciting stuff. We are asking people to bring their pledge cards and any first contributions they'd like to make on... September 15th, wonderful. Y'all did much better than 9.30, but no one does better than 8.15. Those people wake up like ready to roll at 6 a.m. If it was a 6.30 service, they'd be at it. Well, very good, September 15th, that will be good. We continue our series today called Rooted in Joy. We are studying the book of the Bible called Philippians. The big idea of our series has been this. I can be rooted in joy now because of my relationship with God through Jesus, because of the people God has placed in my life, because of the work that Jesus is doing in me and the work that Jesus is doing through me. I can be rooted in joy now. Often we think of joy as something out there. I'll find joy if or when. I'll find joy after this is over. Once I'm through this situation, once I'm done with this class, once that person is out of my life, I will find joy, but it's somewhere out there. Philippians is flipping all this on its head. Philippians says, no, our lives can be rooted in joy now. Because Philippians is a book of the Bible. It's one of its major themes is joy. is written by a man named Paul, and Paul wrote it from prison. Paul wrote it from the clink, as my cellmates used to say. I've used that joke every week of the series, and I will continue to do so until people fall on the floor laughing at it. But the point is, Paul is under house arrest in Rome, and even though he's imprisoned, he writes a book about joy. Joy now. Joy is a present reality. His life was rooted in joy, even in hardship. So today we want to look at the next chunk of the book, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Again, if you haven't been here the last few weeks, we have these Rooted in Joy soap journals. These are an opportunity for you to read and study the book of Philippians on your own. Even if you don't know much about the Bible, that's what these are for. They break it down in small enough chunks that you too can do it. You can read and study the Bible and see what God might want to teach you through the book of Philippians. So, in seminary, I had a friend. And this friend would always get overwhelmed. He would get overwhelmed about classes. He'd get overwhelmed about a teacher. He'd get overwhelmed by relational drama. And when this would happen, he would call his mom. And his mom would listen for a little while. And then she would interrupt him and always say the same thing. She would say, work it out, baby, work it out. And at first I thought she was just tired of listening to him. Right? Like, she's ready to get back to doing something, anything, rather than listen to the complaining. And then I started to realize 
she might actually be quoting the Bible. So we're about to read verses 1 to 11 today. This is what verse 12 says. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So these verses are saying that if you follow Jesus, or if in the future you ever come to follow Jesus, if you trust your life into his hands, you can be confident deep down God is doing work in your life. God's doing work deep down in your soul. He's giving you a new heart. He's renewing your mind. He is refreshing your soul. and He is transforming you, but he's starting on the inside and letting it go from inside out. So that your salvation, your healing, your rescue is something that God does deep down inside of you. And at first, it's usually only you and God that even know you've crossed over the starting line of faith. But give it time because it's going to start to bubble up more. What's happening deep inside of you will bubble up more and more and more. And then there comes this point where you have to work it out, baby. Work it out. Take what God is doing deep down inside and work it out to the outside where people can see it, where it begins to change things. It begins to change your relationships with others. It begins to change your outlook, begins to change your priorities, begins to change how you treat one another or how we treat the most vulnerable people in our society. Work it out, baby. Work it out. Deeper meaning in those words, once I realized where she pulled them from. So from prison, Paul writes this, verse 1, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from His love, any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness or compassion, Paul's a preacher, you can hear it here, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love. In other words, if God is doing anything in your life, if God's doing anything good in your life, verse 2, make my joy, there's that word again, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Paul is saying here there is an even deeper level of joy available to all of us, and it is a joy that can only be experienced in community. It is a joy that can only be experienced in healthy community, in a group of people who function as one person. This is interesting because sometimes we think that people are what are standing between us and joy. Right? Sometimes you'll hear it said something like, for instance, like, a church would be great if it wasn't for the people. Pastors say that. There's a little gallows humor in being a pastor. And I'm not talking about you, by the way. (laughs) But people say that church would be great if if it weren't for the people. In other words, joy is somewhere out there. Somewhere out there, and if I look just long enough and hard enough, I'll find the perfect church or the perfect set of friends, or I'll find one, and then I can have joy. Joy is somewhere out there. And certainly some people become toxic. And certainly some groups of friends become toxic. And certainly even churches can become toxic. But, and in those toxic situations, often we have to make more, more drastic moves. 
But the fact that some relationships or people or churches can go toxic, we don't want that to obscure what the Bible is trying to say here, which is that there is a deeper level of joy that's only available to us through our relationships with one another. A deeper level of joy that's available to us through having relationships with one another, specifically, Paul is saying, with a healthy church family where people have good relationships, where people work together. Part of the thing that does get me excited uh, about Rooted, a lot of things uh, do. People ask, are you sleeping okay through this whole Rooted thing? I'm sleeping fine, except I have a four-month-old. Besides that, I'm sleeping great. But part of what makes me excited about it is, is it's a collective effort that I think will let us see what God does through us collectively. Not where every, one person has to be the hero or anything like that, but as everybody works together, God can do amazing things. The truth is that happens every week. The setup team gets here at 7 a.m., and, and, and to, this morning we had to go scour and find the chairs. They were hidden all throughout the, <laughs> the school. Setup team gets here at 7 a.m., and, and until the, uh, the, at 1 p.m., the pack-up team closes the door. And the whole time, there's just scurrying and activity. People working with kids, with youth, doing uh, handing out, greeting, all kinds of things. Over 100 people serve on any given Sunday so that we worship in the way that we do. That's not asking one person to do everything. That's asking everybody to do something. And then when Sunday's over, we have, we have Bible studies. We have hundreds of people in community groups. We have folks who serve all throughout the community. In other words, God does amazing things. And this is not just our church this happens. This happens in all kinds of churches. God does amazing things through our working all together. No one has to do everything. But as people do the things they're good at and are willing to do, God does amazing things. And, and the point here is not just that they happen, it's that Philippians says this can be a source of deep joy. That in healthy community, we can experience joy from our relationships through what we accomplish together by God's grace and by how my part, big or small, contributes to the collective work. There may be a lot of things to find joy from in a healthy community, but these are three. Joy in our relationships, Joy from what we accomplish together. Joy in how my part, big or small, contributes to the collective work. Now, it's Jesus that offers to forgive our sin. It's Jesus that offers to reconcile us to God. Through faith in Jesus, our relationship with God is restored. Through faith in Jesus, our relationship with God is made healthy. What do we do with that healthy relationship with God? You may, you're going to figure it out by the end of the sermon. We work it out, baby. Work it out. Work out that healthy relationship. What God is doing deep inside of us, our healthy relationship with God, work it out into building healthy relationships with other people, with our neighbors, with our teammates, with our families, with our colleagues, with those who are in poverty. We work it out building healthy relationships with, uh, with a church family, this or some other one. In other words, the Bible is saying, don't run away at the first sign of trouble in relationships. Now again, I, my caveat for when things go toxic is real. Sometimes we have to take drastic action when things go toxic. But let's not 
let the exception obscure us from the rule, which is don't run away at the first sign of trouble in relationships. There is a deeper joy found in healthy, long-term community. Both of those are important, but there is deep joy found in healthy, long-term community. Verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. So now Paul's going to kind of flesh out some practical wisdom. He's talked about it in a big picture, but practically, what does it look like to build healthy relationships, to build community with one another? He says it's a place where there is more humility than selfishness. It's a place where there's more humility than conceit. So do you and I contribute to healthy community? Do we contribute to healthy relationships? Do we contribute to a healthy marriage, a healthy workplace, a healthy team, a healthy church? Paul says, ask yourself, are we supplying more humility or more selfishness? Are we supplying more humility or more conceit? Why would Paul need to even tell the people this anyway? Well, if you look at another place in the Bible, at Acts chapter 16, you get an idea. Acts chapter 16 tells us the first three people who became Christians in Philippi. The first lady is named Lydia. She is a wealthy businesswoman. She becomes a Christian. She and her whole family are, are, are baptized. The second person who becomes a Christian is an unnamed woman who is enslaved. The third person is an unnamed man who is the jailer. He works the midnight shift at the jail. He uh, puts his faith in Christ and his whole, he and his whole family are baptized. Okay, so here's what we know. We don't know a lot about the church in Philippi, but here's what we know. We don't know if they had an info table. We don't know who ran the soundboard. You know, we, we don't know if the sermons had random references to Taco Bell. The sermons here have random references to Taco Bell, especially at 11 when I start getting hungry. But what we do know is that in a small room, likely at Lydia's house, sitting in a circle, there's Lydia, the wealthy businesswoman and her family, the enslaved woman, at least when she could be there, and the, the midnight jailer and his family. Do you see any way they might have a disagreement? Do you see any opportunity for a misunderstanding here? Do you see any, do you think they could view things from different perspectives? And yet, God brought them all together, each with their own unique God-given gifts, and he built a beautiful and vibrant church family. How do you think they navigated the disagreements? How do you think they stuck it out through the misunderstandings? I think they had to work it out, baby. Work it out. Meaning, take what God was doing deep inside of them, each one of them as an individual, the work He was doing deep in their lives, and work it to the outside so that they could face their disagreements and work it out. Verse 5, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Okay, that's easy. Verse 6. Oh, no, wait. Let's stop at verse 5. 
in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. An easy verse of the Bible to remember, a hard verse of the Bible to do. But how do you and I add to healthy community? How do we add to healthy relationships, healthy marriages, healthy friendships, healthy teams, a healthy church family? Philippians says, you got to become more like Jesus. I got to become more like Jesus. So, so for instance, let's say like Kennedy and I have an issue because Kennedy and I never have an issue. Okay. So Kennedy and I are having an issue. So, so my default is I'm going to lock us in a room and we're going to solve it. Now we have an added problem. We're locked in a room and I didn't bring the key. Did you bring the key? No. Okay. So we have added problems. So here, here's, the, here's what Philippians is saying to do a little bit different than my default. Philippians is saying if Kennedy and I have an issue, the first person I need to go to is not Kennedy. I need to go to the source of healthy relationships. Who is the source of healthy relationships? God, Jesus. Go to the source of healthy relationships and say, God, I need you to make me more like Jesus. Not make Kennedy more like Jesus, although I can pray for that too. But I, chiefly, I need you, God, to make me, yeah, Kennedy's already there. I need you to make me more like Jesus. And then, having done that work, I can go back to Kennedy and we can try to work it out, baby. Work it out. Take, take what's happened deep inside, this work I've been doing, uh, uh, me and God, and see if I can't work it to the outside in that relationship. Does this make any sense? This is what Philippians is telling us to do, to, to become more like Jesus and let that play out in the relationships that you and I have. So then Paul's going to finish this chunk by quoting a hymn. So he makes his point, have the same attitude, have the same mindset as Jesus, and then he starts to quote a hymn that the people would have known. This is actually the earliest recorded Christian hymn. It says this, who, talking about Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. So I need to do a quick sidebar about this hymn. Sometimes you will hear it said that Jesus and his first followers did not think he was God, that that was something that was kind of made up hundreds of years later. There's a problem with that theory, and I'm going to try to describe the problem with that theory now. The problem with that theory is that it's wrong. And here's why I say that. Philippians was written in the 60s, not the 1960s, like the 60s. So we're talking 30 years removed from the death and resurrection of Jesus. And in the book, Paul quotes a hymn, a hymn well-known enough that he would quote it to make a point. So think about how well-known a hymn would have to be to be written and have circulated around. They don't have the internet now, so in, a, in an oral communication society, it would have had to get around far enough to, for them to know the hymn and be familiar enough with it that he would quote it to make a point. So we don't know exactly when the hymn was written, but it was written within shooting distance of the death and resurrection of Jesus. The point, and in the hymn, it clearly states that Jesus is both divine and human. 
my point in all this is to say, you, you can believe Jesus was God or not, but, but it is not arguable that Jesus and his early followers thought that he was God. And so, all that to say, Paul quotes the hymn because this is critical to his point, that, that Jesus was God and that even being God, he became human. This is crucial to who Jesus is and who Jesus was and what it means to have the same attitude or mindset that Jesus had. In the hymn, we watch Jesus climb down the ladder. Jesus does not make us climb up to him. You and I do not have to climb up to God because God has already climbed down to us. Jesus became human. Now, I like being human, but if you're God, being human is a huge downgrade. And yet, that's what Jesus did. He was fully God, but he climbed down the ladder and became human. He climbed down the ladder in order to serve you. He climbed down the ladder in order to serve me. How far did he climb down? Verse 8 says, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. He died the death of a criminal. He died as one who had done wrong, although he had done no wrong. He died as one who had been cursed, even though through him so many are blessed. He stooped so low. He humbled himself so much. He served us in every moment of his life, and he served us even more so in his sacrificial and substitutionary death. Philippians says to you, Philippians says to me, become more like Jesus. In our relationships with one another, become more like Jesus. Follow Jesus down the ladder. Follow Jesus in valuing love more than image. Follow Jesus in being willing to serve others. Follow Jesus into humility. Follow Jesus into serving. It's worth it. It's not a waste of a life because Jesus has been vindicated. That's how the hymn ends. Jesus' sacrificial love, his sacrificial death has been vindicated. It is worth it to follow in his footsteps. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The, Jesus is, the Bible says, the name above every name, and yet he still wants to be associated with you. He still wants to be associated with me. What joy to know and to be known by the Lord, the King, the Keeper of all creation. What joy to bow before Jesus and to entrust control of your life to Him. And out of a relationship with God, through Jesus Christ, we can experience even more joy. The joy that comes from vibrant and healthy relationships with one another. In community, as a church family. And the truth is, relationships are hard sometimes. Thank you, Captain Obvious. Hoping to be upgraded soon to whatever the rank above captain is. Sometimes relationships are hard. That's why we think people are what are standing between us and joy. 
what Philippians is trying to say, what Philippians is trying to flip for us, now I think God's trying to flip it through the words of Philippians, is to say there, there may well be, again, cases, those exceptions in which, in which a person has just become toxic or abusive or something like that. Okay, there may be cases where we need to, to, to make the exception. But the rule is, joy is, the, the, the deep joy is found in the relationship. The deep joy is found in the healthy, long-term community. And not only in the good times, but sometimes how we work together through the bad times, the tough times. Because it forces us to Jesus, it forces us to go back to Jesus and ask Him to make us more like Him. And then we work it out. And often we find on the backside deeper joy than we ever knew was there. We thought the people were what was standing between us and joy, and what we figured out was, no, that was actually our avenue to joy. So, to remind you of the point of the series, I can be rooted in joy now because of my relationship with God through Jesus, because of the people God has placed in my life, because of the work that Jesus is doing in me, and because of the work that Jesus is doing through me. And what I've tried to illustrate today is it's not just me or you as an individual, but it's also what God's doing in and through us all together. Finding deep joy that the person to your left or right is being transformed. Finding joy in, in the way that God takes each of our little willingnesses and compiles it all together and makes it more than we ever realized. Based on all that from Philippians 2, my question to you would be, how might you become more rooted in joy now? How might you, based on Philippians chapter 2, become more rooted in joy now. That's all I wanted to say. Let's pray together. Let me give you a chance to pray, a chance to talk to God, to listen to God. Just use this quiet moment for personal prayer. Lord, I thank you for our congregation. I thank you for each person gathered here today. Lord, we come from different places, and some of us are walking in. We don't even know what tomorrow holds. But I thank you that none of us have to walk alone. I thank you that Jesus has done the work required for us to have a living and vibrant relationship with you, our Creator.
And Lord, for those of us who have never received that gift of Jesus, I pray we'd be willing to do so. I pray we'd be willing to step over the line of faith and follow Him. So Lord, we know we can walk every step of our lives with You, but I thank You we also have other people to walk those steps with. People who encourage us. People people who build us up. And frankly, Lord, some people who irritate us. I pray all of this would push us closer to You and that we could return to the relationships, even the ones that, that, that are not going the way we'd hoped they'd be going, even the ones that grate on our last nerve. We could return to those relationships and find them as a source of deep joy. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.